Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Um, I guess today is Matt Sabula, the CEO of Cryptiv. Website is crypitiv.com. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. In the spirit of bad jokes without being cryptic, what is Cryptiv about? <laughs> All right. I'll, uh, I'll tell you. Uh, so at Cryptiv, we, we do two things. Uh, we create wallet systems that allow uh, enterprises such as financial institutions to manage and store digital assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and we also manage our own private uh, portfolio of digital assets that's just comprised of our, our founders' assets that we've been managing for a few years now. You know, which of those? Tell me about what you do for uh, for outside parties. Sure, sure. Um, maybe I can give you a little bit of background um, on on our sort of on our history and, and my little background on myself, and can explain how we got to to where we were at. Um, so we we started uh, in crypto in late 2013, early 2014. And um, we, we started building wallets. We've always been building wallets. So we, we actually built a consumer-facing wallet that allowed people to move digital assets like Bitcoin and, and other digital assets back then. It was sort of Dogecoin and Litecoin was really the, the talk of the town. Uh, and, and we built a, a consumer-facing wallet that allowed people to move digital assets over social media, over Twitter, over Reddit, uh, things like that. Um, to make a long story short, it was difficult to get a lot of traction back then. The, the universe of people that were using digital currencies in 2014 was, was quite small. Uh, but despite that, we had a lot of attention, a lot of interest from people in the developing countries like Malaysia and Indonesia. Um, but we, we realized that it would be difficult to make a, a business of this. So in 2015, we decided to take the core infrastructure that we had built, the core wallet system, because uh, back then there wasn't a lot of uh, sort of APIs or other kind of infrastructure companies that made it a little easier to run wallet systems. Uh, so we had to build it all from scratch. So so we realized that that, cons- that, that the consumer-facing wallet was going to be a tough, tough uh, go of it. But our core wallet system was a great uh, opportunity to provide businesses the ability to store and manage digital assets. So in uh, 2015, we created uh, an enterprise wallet offering which we allowed um, enterprises to basically create wallets for employees and put rules and limits on those uh, wallets. So that if you have you know, a, a group of traders working for you or a group of developers, you can hand them some digital assets without uh, worrying that they're going to you know, accidentally or maliciously steal those assets. Tell me some of the restrictions on the wallets, by the way. Now, what are some things you found yeah. to be important? 
so, you know, through multi-sig, uh, we have the ability to create rules such as um, maximum limits on, on how much can be moved, uh, which type of addresses you're allowed to send to, so like white label, black label addresses that you can and cannot send to, uh, time of day, uh, velocity of money, those types of things. So basically, you can hand uh, uh, an employee or trader uh, a wallet that he or she can use, but within limits. Uh, which is important for organizations that are getting into this uh, this ecosystem into this space. So yeah, so that's that's what we what that's what we were doing, and that's that's our our core infrastructure, what we we have and what we offer. Um, but really, the, it's kind of a funny story because we were working with a, a number of institutions and insurance companies and banks, and and to be to be to be frank, uh, we were getting a little frustrated with their. Uh, lack of concern about security. You know, we started doing some POCs, proof of concepts, with uh, with some financial institutions, and we would say, you know, pound the table, and say, guys, private key management and security is so important. And they would say, ah, well, you know, this is more of a kind of uh, a proof of concept. We don't take security that seriously. We don't think we'll ever have to manage these assets. So it was a little frustrating because we were getting deals, but we were working with clients that weren't taking crypto as seriously as we'd like. Uh, so actually, what, what ended up happening is, is a year ago, we, we recognized that if we just used our wallet infrastructure to enhance um, my trading, which I, I've been a, a trader of regular um, assets like uh, commodities, derivatives, options, stocks, things like that for over 10 years. And I've been trading crypto for the last three years. And we realized that if we just use the, the infrastructure we have to enhance my trading, uh, that, that was a more lucrative thing. So, so uh, truth be told, for the last year, we haven't been licensing our wallet system at all to anybody. Uh, we've just been using it ourselves to trade the crypto markets uh, and manage our own portfolio. So that's, that's kind of um, a long-winded explanation of what we do. And we, we hope to uh, eventually begin licensing that technology again to financial institutions, hedge funds, uh, large, large groups that are trying to get into this asset class. And we, we expect to unveil that product in 2018. All right, so where are we at now? Tell me, again, you just said the enterprise wallet stage, or what, what do you guys have going on at this very moment? Yeah, so we have our enterprise wallet, but we're just using it ourselves right now because we found that actually trading the markets and building uh, features that are necessary to interact with various exchanges, to uh, make it easier to, to send funds to cold storage, to, uh, to do various um, you know, algorithmic trading, was was the best way to actually make our technology improve. So that's what we've been doing for the last um, you know year, basically. We've just been using our own technology as a firm to manage our own portfolio, and it's it's done very well. Uh, we're very proud of our returns. I don't think I can can share what they are exactly, but they're we've we've beat the the coin market cap um, overall um, sort of overall benchmark by 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 a bit. So we're very proud of our returns. And our, our goal is basically to keep using our own technology and prepare it to be commercialized to license and sell to other institutions like hedge funds, like trading desks, like financial firms in um, sort of the middle part of next year. All right. So we have multi-sig, we have whitelisted, blacklisted addresses. Uh, anything else yeah. in regards to the wallet? Does it have a fiat gateway? Um, what other features are important to it? Yeah, so so the 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 wallet uh, like the wallet system, there's sort of the the core custodianship uh, part, which is just the how we actually store the assets long term in a safe manner, and then there's the wallet systems that allow us to trade, um, which which 
which involve connecting to various um, exchanges via APIs and uh, making it possible to execute ex uh, execute transactions both on the exchange and on uh, on the actual networks themselves. So, for example, when an ICO occurs or things like that, we have uh, the ability to execute transactions that get into ICOs and uh, also buy uh, tokens and, and digital assets on the secondary markets. So it's kind of like um, it's like an institutional wallet system designed for traders and institutions that allow them to navigate the the, the, the often uh, treacherous and dangerous world of, of crypto assets as they are. How many different tokens are in the wallet? Which ones? You know, does it change over time? Uh, yeah, it changes over time based on our you know investment strategy. But I would say at any at any point, there's about twelve to fifteen uh, tokens that we we uh, we have in our in our wallets in our portfolio. Well, can you mention some of them or, what, or no? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're very big fans of uh, of Ethereum uh, and and of course Bitcoin. So we we kind of group things into into buckets in the in the sense that there's sort of the blue chip. Uh, digital assets, which, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, we would put in there. And then there's uh, sort of emerging digital assets that sort of have yet to prove their worth. Uh, and these are sort of the, the smaller ICOs. Uh, I guess, you know, one example would be that we kind of like is District OX. We think that's, a, that's an interesting one. It's a very small, um, small one. And again, none of this is financial advice. It's, you know, we're just, uh, we're just <laughs> kind of sharing our thoughts on, on the markets. But Overall, you can sort of think of it that way. There's the, the blue chips that are, you know, not going to go anywhere anytime soon. And then there's the smaller, more speculative, small cap um, in, in terms of the coin market cap capitalization that are interesting and attractive, but it's best to have sort of a portfolio of a number of them uh, and not be overexposed to any one. Um, but, you know, this, as you well know, the this market is, is getting very... Um, it's getting very active. There's a lot more attention coming in from financial institutions, from hedge funds, from sort of the, the big uh, Goliath of the, the traditional financial world. And they are starting to uh, deploy capital in this world. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very exciting time for this asset class, but it's also a very dangerous time. It, it almost feels a little bit like a mania. It almost feels like the, you know, the late nineties. I wasn't really a, a, a trader in the, the late nineties. I was, I think, uh, all of 14 years old or something like that when it, when it began. But, um, but, you know, it was a very interesting time uh, for not only technology, but also sort of how the world perceived uh, the Internet and how excited people got. And, you know, people were investing in these dot-coms. I think it's a very appropriate analogy to where we are today with, with blockchain technology. And it's, it's just sort of beginning, right? Like, you know, a, a year ago, when we would go in and talk to financial institutions and talk to banks and, and hedge funds, they would say, hey, like, this is crazy. This is all dark market stuff. You know, no one's going to be investing this. There's no way in hell, you know, any of these big, you know, tens of or hundreds of billions of dollar companies would invest in these assets. And a year later, you know, it's a completely different conversation. There, there's the, you know, the, the Bitcoin futures coming out soon. And there's a lot of hedge funds and financial institutions who are trying to understand how to gain exposure to this space. So I think it's, a, it's kind of a timely uh, moment in history to, to try to understand what's going on uh, because A, there's a mania and there's big companies moving in, but B, there's real important financial technology being developed, which is critical to sort of the, the ability for average humans all over the world 
to interact and do business with one another in a peer-to-peer manner that isn't controlled by central entities like banks. Uh, and I think that is an incredibly powerful and liberating thing for humanity overall. Um, but it, it is becoming a bit of a, a bit of a mania in the sense that you know everyone walking down the street is talking about Bitcoin, uh, and uh, and it's becoming very much top of mind for a lot of financial institutions and just regular people who are kind of getting caught up in the excitement. So what do you think is going to happen? You know, it's obviously pure speculation, but what's your read on what the market's going to do over 2018? Oh yeah, that's a you know that's the the trillion dollar question right there. Um, I guess, you know, and again, this is not financial advice, <laughs> uh, but I, I would say that, you know, I, I feel like we're on the cusp of this really breaking into mainstream audiences. Uh, like I said before, you know, people that were completely dismissive of this are now, you know, calling me back a year and a half later saying, hey, Matt, like, you know, <laughs> turns out uh, what you're saying wasn't so crazy after all in, in you know, 2015 and, and 2016. So I think, I think we are at, at, at a sort of a tipping point where average, you know, quote unquote people will be entering into this space and it's no longer sort of the, the freaks and geeks who are really excited and passionate about this, you know, two years ago when, right. when there wasn't that much activity. And so I, I think we are at a bit of a tipping point and it, it's actually a very exciting time. Um, although, you know, if you look back at the history of, of crypto and especially if you look at charts, because I'm a, I'm a big fan of charts and technical analysis and trying to understand the the ebb and flow of money and greed and fear and, and people's emotions, which I think are sort of displayed on, on uh, you know, price charts. Um, if you take a look at it, you know, crypto has, has had many, many sort of big pumps, big moves higher, which are followed by violent and vicious moves lower. And, and the big question is, is 2018 going to be one big move higher or are we going to have sort of a, a local top with another sort of crypto winter, uh, just like we had in, you know, 2014 and 2015? That's like I said, the the, the trillion dollar question. Uh, you know, if you if I had to make a guess, I would I would guess that 2018 is going to be a big year and it's going to be a big bull run, uh, simply because there's so much institutional capital sitting on the side just trying to figure out how to get in, and so many more people in the world who are beginning not only to understand the sort of financial opportunity but also are beginning to understand the more important uh, element, which is the ability to have financial sovereignty, right? The ability to have complete control over your money in a manner that um, no government or bank can really stop. And I think that's the really big story here, right? The ability for average people to move around value, to invest, to hedge, to buy insurance, to to, to do things that people in North America take for granted. Uh, and people in developing countries, in you know, sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Asia, in, in, in all kinds of places where there's very poor institutions, lots of corruption, lots of bad behavior by the banks, those are people. And they just want to make money, they want to do business, they want to succeed just like anybody else. And crypto is a way to offer people like that the ability to manage their own assets and make investments and get exposure and start companies and contribute to projects that they feel passionate about without having to worry that, you know, six months from now, maybe their bank is going to lock up their account or their the shitty currency that they have in their, in their country is going to be worth 40% less because of some corruption or the printing presses running, you know, at full speed. So I think that those are, those are the sort of volatile elements, you know, in the pool right now. 
that that are going to contribute to how this is going to play out. And you know, I'm but I'm an optimist, and so you know, your guess is as good as mine. Well, so the last couple of things. Tell me about uh, again what's coming for you guys over the next six to twelve months in a little bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for us, you know, our 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 objectives are to um, to release our enterprise wallet system uh, to a, a, a number of customers that we're we're speaking with in in uh, 2018, and um, and and continue managing our portfolio, which, like I said, we may one day open out to outside private investors. Uh, so those are our our two priorities at the moment. Uh, and then just continue developing our wallet technology and uh, continue contributing to this really interesting and fascinating ecosystem that has sort of been supercharged the last six to 12 months uh, in a very exciting way. So I think that those are our objectives, complete and and launch our our wallet and custodian services and continue managing our fund and, uh, you know, ride the waves and and hold on tight. Um, In regards to the wallet, are you seeing a lot of interest from enterprise on the features that you guys have in it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing about this is that's very interesting is that crypto, it's almost designed for personal use, right? Like if, if you go and you trade on some exchange and you acquire a bunch of crypto, you have a choice. You have a choice and, and your choice, which is uh, do you choose to withdraw that crypto and safeguard it yourself? either on your computer, on a paper wallet, on a ledger wallet, somewhere in a manner that you are personally responsible for, or do you trust an exchange like Coinbase or something to hold your private keys for you? You know, we always encourage people to understand and appreciate how to manage digital assets on their own and not trust the third party because even a high-end sort of tier one exchange like Coinbase may one day be hacked, right? There's, there's, there's always concerns in terms of their levels of security, even at the highest level. So I think that's that's the unique sort of reality of of how when the rubber hits the road and private keys are involved, how this actually plays out. So that's for an individual; they have to make that choice. For an institution that might want to run a hedge fund, that might want to get exposure, that might want to offer this as a product to their clients, they have a very big problem, right? Because it's these 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 assets, these private keys, are really designed not designed, but they're best used as an individual asset that an individual has to safeguard and keep. Uh, So they have a problem because they're not comfortable with this. They're used to, you know, investing $100 million in Apple and sticking it with some custodian and not worrying about it and knowing that it's completely safe and everything's fine and the auditors are completely cool with it and the lawyers are fine with it and that's all good. But today, if you go out and acquire, you know, $50 million worth of some, some token, you are faced as an institution with that challenge that an individual has, but also the challenge that you're just not an individual, you're an organization. So you've got, you know, a couple dozen people working for that organization. Some might be, you know, more trustworthy than others. Some might be more technically um, sort of skilled than others. And you have a whole layer of challenges. So absolutely, right. uh, institutional investors, they want exposure to this asset class. They want to understand how it works. They want to be able to create products out of it, but they're also concerned about the security aspect, which is really what we deal with. So absolutely, there's been a lot of interest in it, and I think it speaks to the interesting and unique moment in time which we find ourselves in, in the sense that you know this is kind of getting more and more exciting and more and more attention, and these institutions want to play a part of it, but they're 
they're having a challenge because it's not the same old asset class that they're used to. Okay. With uh, any insights into private key management, any breakthroughs that you see you guys working on or other people making? What's the solution for that? Oh, yeah. For, for an institution or for an individual? Both. Uh, well, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not a, a cryptographer or developer. So, you know, the, the nitty gritty of, of, of that question, I, I can't really speak to in terms of what kind of breakthroughs they are. But from, from my understanding, you know, this is, uh, this is in, in a lot of ways, relies on really robust cryptography that, you know, has been around for a long time. So for individuals, it's kind of a solved problem in the sense that if you do your due diligence, you do your homework, you understand what you're doing, and you really research the crap out of what it means to store private keys and how to manage it responsibly, it's, it's, it's kind of a solved problem, right? You, you, you have to understand how to manage it. You can choose to use a hardware wallet, like a ledger, for example, or a Trezor. You need to look into whether those are trustworthy options for you. Uh, but there's there's ways to do that and back it up and store it safely and you know and, and we recommend that people really truly understand how that works and and what the implications of their investment are because this is unlike you know investing you know whatever ten grand with a broker somewhere and you know the broker's got you it, it, there's many implications that need to be understood but once you understand them once you do your homework I think you know 99% of average people should be able to get to a point where they can manage those assets. That being said, there's a number of people who are uncomfortable with that. They don't want to be responsible for that. They are not very technically savvy or feel that they're very technically unsavvy. And those people, you know, they sometimes choose to trust uh, an institution like Coinbase or somebody else uh, like Gemini, Kraken, something like that with their, their private keys. And, you know, again, that's not ideal, uh, but that's, that's a personal choice people have to make. Um, when it comes to institutions, uh, there is definitely a lot of activity. There's a number of companies working on custodial solutions and wallet systems, and I think that still has a lot of unanswered questions in the sense of how regulators will deal with this asset class, how uh, private keys should be managed uh, in, at an institutional level, how to, you know, how insurance might work in this world. There's a lot of big question marks that still need to be answered, uh, which is part of why it's exciting and part of why there's a big opportunity here for, for a lot of companies. Definitely. All right, well, very good. So how can um, institutions and people get in touch with you about your wallet solutions and, uh, you know, take their ride with you over this next year? Yeah, absolutely. So you can uh, so you can uh, just check out our website, uh, cryptiv.com, as, as you pointed out there at the beginning. Uh, there's uh, there's contact information there. You can reach us there. Uh, and you know we're, we're based in Toronto. Uh, so if if, if ever anyone's ever in Toronto, to drop us a line and, and draw and and we can meet up with them. Um, and yeah, and so I, I would say just to reach out and, and speak with us. And and if you're an institution that's looking to get exposure to the space to understand the the technical challenges that are um, needed to get over in order to handle this asset class, then, you know, we're here and uh, happy to chat. Well, very good. Well, Matt, thanks for being on the podcast, and I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks so much, and uh, have a good day. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. 
If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.